Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Whining About Herstory, a women's history podcast where two longtime gal pals chat about women's history over a glass of wine. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily and thank you so much for joining us today. So uh, if you haven't heard, there are some very serious things going down in our home state of Minnesota. And if you are a longtime listener, uh, you know we usually do a Say Their Name segment where we shout out people who are doing amazing, incredible things. Uh, but we did want to use this time to say the names of people who have been victims of racially charged brutality and violence. And because they're the most important people in this narrative, in this story, yes. and to keep this list from growing, things need to change. And this right list now. is probably not all of them. It's absolutely these, not. But these are probably the ones, you know, and maybe they'll, they'll be ones you haven't heard of, which is fine. Well, it's not fine, but, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say, but there might be ones you haven't heard of, but these are probably the biggest ones over the course of the last several years, which is far too long for this to been going on. And that's what this is about is, you know, remembering these people and making the change that is so desperately needed. Yeah. And uh, in case you're a new listener, uh, Kelly and I are both very 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 white <laughs> we we like burn, vampire white we burn under strong leds um and so we we understand we have a level of privilege here and that's why we are choosing to just say the names of the victims uh we're not going to comment on everything else we are both very supportive of black lives matters and all efforts towards justice and making sure that people are held accountable but as this, well as the change that needs to happen absolutely needs to happen but uh we just feel that this is the best way for us to use our platform without co-opting the narrative um if we're doing this super wrong please let us know we do want to be better allies we do want to be better people uh but we just feel that this is the best way to go especially within the format of our podcast i mean we're always talking about how important it is to say people's names and to remember them and, and how... for everyone to be equal that exactly. everyone needs the same amount of respect and treatment exactly um so i will just start and uh and like i like like we said this is not a finite list uh but this is just kind of what we were able to come up with Ahmad Aubrey, age 25. Botham Jean, age 26. Eric Garner, age 43. Trevon Martin, age 17. Sandra Bland, age 28. Terrence Crutcher, age 40. Philando Castile, age 32. Samuel Dubois, age 43. Tamir Rice, age 12. William Green, age 27. Walter Scott, age 50. Alton Sterling, age 37. Jeremy McDole, age 28. William Chapmany, age 18. Eric Harris, age 44. Miles Hall, age 23. Darius Tarver, age 23. Gregory Hill Jr., age 30. Freddie Gray, age 25. Alton Sterling, age 37. Atatiana Jefferson, age 28. 
Breonna Taylor, age 26. George Floyd, age 46. Our hearts are breaking with what has just happened and what has and that this is just on repeat it seems and um we have a lot of friends who are in the thick of what's going on up in the twin cities and we wish them all the nothing but safety and peace and we just hope for justice yes we, all we want is the change that is so desperately needed and it it yeah it like she said it it hurts our hearts and you know it's terrible to see what's going on and yeah it just this needs to stop all right well thank you for sticking with us for our say their name segment i know that was a lot a lot less uplifting than they normally are but um now we are going to introduce the wine that we're drinking. All right. I kind of feel weird doing this. <laughs> I it's how do you segue from that into There is no a, segue. There there is none. And actually there are some podcasts where um they're doing something very similar to this, but that's the whole episode. Um because we are a women's history podcast, we didn't I, we we want to make sure we're also staying in our lane so we did decide to dedicate our say their name segment because that is something that we do for most of our episodes right. uh but we did want to still have an episode to promote women's history yep and and if anyone feels that that's wrong let us know and we'll separate it we have no problem doing that we just felt that for what we are and who we are and because we don't want to like steal that narrative that this was the best way for us to do this and honor those people. Yep. We are, as always, we are doing our best, guys. Right. We are doing our best. All right. So this is the Donna Antonio Reserva Tawny. Um, it's a port. Ooh. So that's why it's such a dark red. This is a seven, estimated 1781. So this was wait seventeen eighty one. Oh, yeah, established. I think, that's, I think yeah. I think that's I, he said, I said estimated. estimated. I was like, wait. I'm sorry. We're drinking a bottle from the revolution. All right, it's seventeen fifty one. I can't read the tiny tiny writing. Just, so it says established in seventeen fifty one by a winemaking family with the vineyards of Doro Ferraria, Ferrera, Ferrera, rose to prominence under the leadership of Donna Antonio, a legendary figure in the history of of Porto wine. Produced from carefully selected grapes grown in the duro germicotted region, Donna Antonio Reservatani has an intense bouquet of ripe fruit, plum, apricot, and jam, with hints of flowers and of wood, a result of its prolonged aging in, Ferrari, in Fer, Ferrera's century-old wine lodges. Donna Antonio Reservatani is delicious when served with dried fruits, cheese, puddings, and cool desserts. So you're saying we need to have dessert for breakfast. Right. We need to go make some pudding. Hold on. Yeah, guys. It's like, okay, I came over at 10 a.m. It's like 11 a.m. right now because we were just talking. Chatting. Yeah. We, I mean, we were planning what we're going to do for the rest of the month and everything. But it's <laughs> maybe a little, a little early, early for breakfast. I did. Okay. Here's the thing. I did have some toast before you came over. I did have a bunch of cookies before I came <laughs> over. There you go. You had some desserts. So Perfect. I'm fine. No, I made, uh, I made cake cookies. 
and I gave some to my neighbors because they had made us biscuits. And so, of course, I'm like, I have to be a good neighbor and reciprocate. And I made a bunch of cookies. And I'm like the only one in my house eating them. And so at first I was like trying to show restraint. And now there's only a few left. I was like, fuck it. it. Like the sooner they're out of the house, the sooner I can stop eating them. So I had like three cookies this morning. So the sign at the wine store where I bought this also says it presents a finish of dried mint, dark chocolate and anise. But I can definitely smell the fruit like when I smell it. You know what it kind of smells like? that that pirate wine that greek church wine it's got a little scared olive date taste i'm i'm like having a moment (laughs) all right there's not going to be a clink because we're using plastic glasses yeah we'll try um cheers to better days ahead cheers cheers that was was sad sad. that was so sad well it was probably appropriate i don't like it it tastes like the greek church wine. oh shit was that a port too, maybe? <laughs> maybe. Like, okay, it's a little more grape forward on the front. Yeah. Than the Greek church wine was. It's not as syrupy. Yeah. That Greek church not. wine was thick. But it's along the same lines. Yeah. I do taste the apricot on the end, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm i glad I didn't pour a lot, because yeah. like I said, it's I the poured, morning and we're yeah. not. I'm glad, I'm glad I picked the glass that felt a little lighter. Yeah, I'm not gonna be able to drink that. I am talking about Donna Antonio, though. The person who made the wine? Yeah. Oh, no! Donna! You know what? I'm sure other people really love ports. We're just not port gals, apparently. You know what's funny? So, this is embarrassing as someone who is on a podcast where the shtick is wine. Whenever someone talks about a port, I always imagine it's like a type of whiskey or bourbon. I cause cause in TV everyone's always like, you know, drinking whiskey and bourbon and scotch, and then like port gets thrown in the mix. And so I just assume it's in that family. I didn't right. know it was a wine. No, it's a wine. Why do you just why don't you just I don't know. I think it's because it's like a, a very strong wine. Like it's very, you know It is. That front foot punch. forward. Front foot in your face. I'm still like just gonna sip on it. Maybe it'll get better. The it's, more I sip. it's funny because I'm letting like it just sit in my mouth like I've drank it and I can just get the aftertaste and I'm like, yeah, it's raisins. I'm getting I'm I'm back in preschool with that little red box of raisins with the gallon. That's on what the it is. The both the Greek church wine and this. Yeah, it's very raisin forward. Yeah. And I'm not I, I can eat raisins now. I've I've evolved to that point where I can tolerate raisins, but I do not enjoy them. I do not, you know, welcome them into my life with open arms. It's also very acidic. It, dude, that first sip punches you. It's yeah. like, whoa, this is sour. And like we've said like multiple, multiple times, we are not wine experts. We are just two women that drink wine. Yeah. You know what? I, w- I will say part of this podcast and us drinking the wine is so that we can try new things. And this is definitely new. And yeah, we definitely don't like it. Hopefully Drew enjoys it. Yeah, he's right? like our he's like our catch all for wine. Yeah, like he'll, he'll drink, be here next week, so I'll be like, Drew, here's a bottle of wine. He'll li- he'll drink just about anything. Yeah, like he we took gave our Greek him the church wine. Yeah, we gave him the Greek church wine and he'll take this happily. And he liked it because he tried it before he like took it home with him and he's like, This is really good. I don't know Jesus why you guys Christ. don't think so. I'm like You know what? So I felt so much guilt over buying the last bottle of it. 
because I couldn't tell if the the manager at the at the liquor store was like happy or like you don't deserve happy. this because <laughs> he had picked it like he had picked it to be yeah, like it was a the manager's special, choice yeah. yeah and so maybe I wasn't worthy but like I was just a stepping stone for In it to who get was to, worthy yeah, yeah to get to Drew. So these wines all go to very good homes, you guys. And if you want to make sure that we can get more wines into good homes and happy bellies, please donate to our Patreon, whiny or patreon.com forward slash whiny about herstory. Yes. And we're going to be doing some updating to the tiers. So watch for that, too. Woo. Oh, shit. Why did I take another sip? Because it's, 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 it's there. there. It's there. It's like the bread at a restaurant. Like, you don't want the bread. You don't care about the bread. Right? Are like you, you going to eat it all? You're, you're full, damn. and they bring you more breadsticks at Olive Garden. And you're like, yeah, I can have another breadstick. <laughs> Three more. Oh, my God. I love I love going to Olive Garden and filling up on breadsticks and salad, though, because I get to take the majority of my meal home. Right? And, and I feel like I like paid for one and got yeah, two. Great. <laughs> I do the same thing. All right. Well, you get to go first. And I'm then going we'll hear first about this Donna week. So really quick before I get started, little announcement. Uh, so last year we celebrated Pride for the month of June, and we are going to be doing that this year. Um, my idea of when June started was not quite in line with reality. So this episode is releasing on June 1st. We've been losing track of days. I don't, dude, I don't even know where I am right now. God. At least you're still working, so you have a sense of, like, the week and the weekend. Yeah. I don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so we are going to be celebrating Pride this month. Thankfully, there are five Mondays in June, so we will still get our four weeks of Pride in starting next week. So, Look sorry. forward to that. Sorry for the timey-wimey bullshit, but we are celebrating Pride this month, and we're really excited. Yes. We got some great ladies coming up. Yes. All right, so... I am going to be telling everyone the story of Ito Noe. Ooh. Yes. You picked a hard pronunciation. Probably good we're not drinking as much this episode yeah. then. Well, it's only three letters in in her first and last name. And she's Japanese, which I'm I'm more comfortable trying to pronounce Japanese than like French. any other foreign language. <laughs> like even Spanish. I'm like, oh, shit. Because I know I'm saying it like a white girl where, you know, in, in Spanish you have the accent like, hola. I'm like. Hola. (laughs) Sounds so white. Donde esta el baño? Where is the bathroom? (laughs) Let me see if I can do it in my Minnesota accent. Uh, Ufta, donde esta el baño? Donde esta el lutefisk? (laughs) I feel like I'm going a little southern with it. I I don't know what that was. was. Yeah, I don't know. It's like a Minnesota transplant to like the yeah. south yeah where i'm like trying really hard to fit in and it's right. not working <laughs> no one's fooled you're like you're not spanish i'm walking around in my norwegian sweaters like hola amigos how you doing how about that weather yeah, i tell right. you what <laughs> yeah when you try to go strong with minnesotan you go like southern it's kind of <laughs> funny <laughs> it's a problem i'll get there Anyway, uh, so, okay, so I screwed up a little. So you know how in Japanese present with the last name first? Yep. Okay, so her first name is Noe. Her last name is Ito. So okay. I wrote it, I wrote it like the correct question mark way the first time. And throughout the rest of this, I refer to her as uh, Noe. Okay. 
hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. It's N-O-E. Yeah, I and, think so. Uh, Sorry. I, I think so. <laughs> I realized I was too confident and didn't bother to look it up, so we'll see. So, Noe Ito was born on Kyushu Island in Japan on January 21st, 1895 to an aristocratic family. In part to her higher status, but also because she convinced her uncle to pay for it, Noe received her education at Ueno Girls High School in Tokyo. Nice. So, like, she could get an education, but she probably wouldn't have gotten one had she not convinced her uncle to, like, right? back she's her She's like, up. no, I want to be a badass bitch. Yeah. I'm going to school. Please pay for it. Get me that education. Uh, so it was during this time that Noe fell in love with literature, particularly literature that explored progressive ideas from both Western and Japanese writers. See what happens when girls Modern. get an education. They get woke. It's a problem great problem right (laughs) unfortunately progressive ideas don't translate into a progressive society right away so during the summer of 1910 while she was still in school noe's family strongly encouraged her to marry a man named suimatsu so by strongly encourage i mean they're like you're doing this yeah Yeah, arranged marriages were a really big deal in japan at the time so suematsu had just returned to kyushu from traveling abroad in the u.s of course noe could totally refuse she would just be forced to end her education if she did right see they used it against her like how awful is that it was a thing So Noe was not about to give up her education and freedom for some rando dude. So instead, she ran away to Tokyo, making her home there. After graduating from Ueno Girls High School, she became romantically involved with a now former teacher from the school, Uh. Suji Jun. And like, I understand it was a different time, but like that just makes my modern sensibilities kind of go ew. Like, oh yeah, you guys started dating after you graduated. Yeah, nothing was happening before, but it sounds like I'm not. I'm not going to make judgment. I'm not going to even comment because he's not a big part of the story. Good. So the couple had two sons, Makoto, who was born on January 30th, 1914, one day before his mom's birthday, which I thought was really cool. Like, happy happy birthday, birthday, mom. (laughs) You're not pregnant anymore. Now you have to deal with it outside of the womb. And Ryuji, who was born the following year on August 10th. So just for some perspective on the timeline, Noe had her first child when she was just a day shy of her 19th birthday and her second when she was 20. Yeah. Like, this just seems so young to me. The couple were married in 1915, so like, sorry, I, I'm i not used to having a mic stand. I usually have the one sitting on the table, yep, and I, I talk with my hands, yeah. and I keep hitting the mic stand, which of course translates into the mic. That's why I need to get mic. one like this, because it's like, I can talk below it then. Yeah, like, whenever you hit your mic stand, I'm always like, Kelly, like, how do you not see it there? But I get it now. <laughs> I'm in I'm in your talk shoes. Talk with your other hand. Yeah, I'm I'm a righty though. It's I gonna know. be my left hand's just gonna flop around like a dumb fish. <laughs> um, so like they weren't quite married when she had her first child. Maybe when they had the second, whatever. It doesn't matter. Every family's different. Um, and they would stay together for at least four years. I'm not super sure what happens to the husband. But things got a little more complicated when Sakai Os- Osugi came onto the scene. Okay, I put this part in bold because I tried to rewrite this eight times and it was just 
a mess. Okay. Now I'm about to lay out some serious drama that was important to Noe's life, but not directly tied to her feminist work. And I was going to try to intertwine the two because they don't like each thing doesn't happen in a vacuum. But the drama gets so weird and it's just... Here, like, it just needs to be separate. It just needs to be laid out. And so get just ready. just keep in the back of your mind to know that it's going on during the feminist stuff. Yeah. This okay. is going to be like a, a soap opera thing, like Days of Our Lives, like Sakura Blossoms in the Wind or something. So... um while Sakai Osugi was already married, that didn't stop him from maintaining multiple relationships with other women, including another Japanese feminist, Ichiko Kamichika. Uh, while monogamy isn't for everyone, and that's totally fine, don't mistake this for being like him being super progressive. While Osugi was all about free love, the women he was with, some of them were not okay with it. And like there there seemed to be this constant competition and a lot of jealousy among the women he was dating. So like, so they knew about each other. They did, and they were with him, but they weren't like super cool with it. Like, okay, I it's it's complicated. Yeah, it's sounds like it sounds like something I would not want to be involved in. Yeah, and so that's why I was really surprised to hear that Noe would become one of his extramarital relationships, and she's still like with her husband at this point. So this is also her extramarital relationship. So while the romance was probably blossoming beforehand, it was in February of 1916 when things became public. Noe and Osugi went on a walk in Tokyo Park, holding hands and kissing in public. <gasps> like gasp. This event was notable mainly because engaging in PDA of any kind was considered highly immoral, and their affections caused onlookers to turn away lest their eyes boil from witnessing such indecency. Like, imagine the most tame like scenes of affection you see in a park and like that being a huge deal now imagine the weirdest thing you've seen in a park like that's how they're reacting to this like they might as well be jerking each other off in the park right so there would be consequences for this later that day osugi met up with ichiko who i mentioned earlier she was another japanese feminist uh so he met up with her at his apartment uh, and told her that he had kissed a woman in public, something he had never done before. He was, like, really jazzed about it, I guess. He's like, oh, my God, I got to tell you, I did this thing, and it was crazy. Ichiko was pissed and that she was not the woman with whom he was offending park goers with. She's like, well, why couldn't you, like, kiss me in the park? Yeah, what the like, fuck what the is hell? going on? Because this is clearly a soap opera, as I mentioned, Noe had followed Osugi to Ichigo's apartment and heard the ensuing argument. Noe knocked on the apartment door, revealing herself when Ichiko opened it. So, like, she's not even just like, oh, man, this is super crazy. Like, I feel kind of bad about the she's situation. Like, no. She's like, she I'm here. Yeah. I'm involved. And she is a very, like, forward, outspoken, like, she puts herself out there kind of person that's still stalking here's the thing like none of this aligns with anything that i would personally do in real life or feel comfortable with so i'm trying not to judge but at the same time i'm like whoa what the fuck (laughs) right so it's like watching a soap opera the two women began arguing over who loved Osugi the most, while Osugi tried to calm them by assuring them he loved them both equally. And you know what? Here's the thing: he, maybe like he did. Your children, you love them both equally. Everyone knows. What you're 
<laughs> oh shit, Kelly. That was kind of dark. I was like, how does that work? Parents do love their children Everyone. equally. Well, that's because you're an only child, Emily. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, you have two. You have you have siblings. Everyone knows there's a favorite. Yeah, who who would you say was the favorite? Oh, Matt, one hundred percent. He's okay. the only boy. Okay. It's funny because in my husband's family, one time their mom was like, "I love everyone equally," or like it came up like, "Who did she love the most?" And all the brothers pointed to the same brother. Oh shit! Whereas as the mom was like, "I love them all equally." <laughs> It's like, no, everyone clearly knew who the favorite was. I was going to say, when all the brothers yeah, think it's exactly. the one guy, like, mm. It was funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. There's always favorites. Yeah. And, like, here's the thing. Um, polyamory, totally valid. Oh, yeah, 100%. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it's that. It's really, really hard. This like, situa- psychologically, Yeah, and even, even Noe was actually, she was the proponent of free love, which I feel is basically what they call polyamory but just open relationships um loving who you want exactly and so she's clearly like into the idea i think she's into the idea of like him having other partners and things but it just seems like no one is handling this well right now grants the early 1900s and like this is such a revolutionary thing it's such a completely foreign concept like i feel like nowadays you know even if you don't engage in polyamory you you have an idea of like well there there are certain there are certain things are healthy and certain things are not because some people try to you know claim that they're polyamorous to like cheat on i don't know yeah there's a lot and that's not polyamory and i'm sure in this case like there's probably a lot of like what you're raised with traditionally fighting with, oh, I want, you know, free love. Like, but, right. you know, you're still ingrained from birth, you know, especially back then. Like, no, it's two people. Like, that's Together how it works. You know, security in life and someone to love you. It's Bob's Burgers. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm not going to sing the last part because it's about suicide, but <laughs> yeah, let's it doesn't need to come up. So. Things eventually boiled over in November of that year when Noe and Osugi were going to a romantic getaway in a countryside inn. Ichiko followed them, a move she may have taken from Noe's book, let's be honest. Everyone's like sneaking on and creeping on everyone. So enraged that Noe and Osugi were spending the night together, Ichiko ambushed Osugi with a knife when he emerged from his room the next morning and she stabbed him multiple times in the throat wow like Holy she didn't shit. even go to like maim she was like no fuck you i'm killing you yeah yeah she's um she she learned from thor's mistake she went for the head in the throat yeah. <laughs> osugi did survive but he obviously ended up in the hospital jesus i don't know what happened she, to ichiko after gosh, that she must have like that's rare because that means she missed all of like the major arteries and yeah. stuff and that's hard like that's that's I mean she must have aimed like directly for the middle of the throat yeah and I mean obviously he's fighting and you know he's which is even more up. like geez like it's <sighs> so easy to nick your artery like when you're getting stabbed in the throat yeah so I don't know what happened to Ichiko uh when I first started reading this I was like oh she's another feminist maybe I'll cover her and then I'm and like, then you're like oh mm, shit maybe, maybe I won't Maybe in October. Yeah. So despite the insane amount of drama, Noe and Osugi would stay together for the rest of their lives and have four children despite never tying the knot. And I'm sure if Noe ever... And I'm not sure if Noe ever divorced her husband. He's just, like, not mentioned again. 
Nope. He's nice. clearly not a super important part of the narrative or her life. I don't know. Anyway, the two supported each other intellectually. Osugi was supportive of Noe's feminist ideas and activism. In 1914, Noe joined the Blue Stocking Society, which published an arts and culture magazine with a feminist twist called uh, Seto, uh, which means student in English. This was the country's first all-women literary magazine. Oh, Naturally, cool. Noe became editor-in-chief. Editor Heck yeah. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know. I was reading this. I was like, man, Osuki sounds like kind of a dog. Right. And it sounds like everyone's, like, allowing him to be that way or, you know, even encouraging him. But he was, he, he did. He at least support, supported the people he was with. He supported Noe's, like, feminist ideas and her intellectual pursuits and, like. Right. He wasn't like, I'm going to sleep around and be, like, that person that's like, no, men have to have everything. Yeah. So I'm not saying he's a great guy or no. anything. People are complicated. This isn't about him, but I don't know. I was like, at least man, she had someone that supported her. Yeah, That's I was like, man, I don't know how I feel about this guy. I kind of hate him, but like, yay. Right. <laughs> so, no, I treated the magazine as an open exploration of a variety of topics, including motherhood, free love, sex work, and abortion. All right. These were topics that were completely unacceptable for the time. I mean, even nowadays, talking about this stuff is controversial. Right. Especially in like in a wide like a magazine that you yeah. never see that. Absolutely. So remember how much people were freaking out about her and her boyfriend in the park? Imagine how their minds were blown over women writing about sex work and free love. The founder of Seto, uh, Raicho Hiratsuka. Okay, I do have the pronunciation. I do think I pronounced that correctly. Raicho Hiratsuka. Uh, she's another noble feminist nice. who didn't stab anyone who maybe I'll cover in the future. We'll see. So she called Noe a writer of intense and natural emotion. Noe wrote about issues that were deeply personal to her and other women of the time. Sometimes her writing hit extremely close to home, such as her short story, Mayoi, uh, which was about a student who moves in with her former teacher, but then finds out the teacher was in a relationship with another student, which like half of that is her fucking life. Right. That's like her origin story right there. <laughs> Her vivid writing style brought her stories and essays to life. As editor-in-chief, Noe made the magazine more radical by tackling social issues, causing the government to take an interest. And usually when the government takes an interest in your magazine, it's not Shit's a good thing. Go <laughs> they actually banned five issues of the magazine, claiming it threatened Kokutai, uh, which is the concept of national identity, sovereignty of the government, and just kind of like... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the magazine is threatening the status quo. Yeah. It's threatening the natural way of life in Japan, basically. In fact, several editions were banned by government censors. I'm going to list the reasons they were banned in order of most expected to least. Okay. So, like, ones where it's like, man, I can see that probably happening today. To, like, the today, wildest random reasons. To, like, guys, fuck it, A, come on. Um, an article calling for the legalization of abortions in Japan got an edition banned in 1915, which obviously is still a really controversial topic today, so that did not surprise me in the least. Nin in 1914, Noe wrote a short story titled Flight, which tells the tragic tale of a young woman who runs off with her lover to escape an arranged marriage, only to be betrayed by her lover. So. So her life. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Corpse Bride. Right. Like, the, the, the whole premise. 
Um, apparently, this was too hot for government center- censors to handle. So, yeah, very, like, dramatic. Yeah, but it's her life, basically. Yeah. One edition was banned thanks to an article called To the Wom- Women of the World, which called for women to marry for love. Like, I know. Like, no, that's that's, that's not, not what marriage. happens. That's your parents tell you who, who you marry. No, traditional marriage is your parents hooking you up with some rando and saying this is your life Or like now. your cousin. Yeah. Marrying for love totally threatens the tradition of marriage and our it's terrible. cultural sensibilities it's of what love and relationships are meant to be. All right. A short story about an arranged marriage breaking up earned the magazine another band. So this isn't even someone resisting. This is someone like it. J- the marriage didn't work. Right. Like they got divorced. Yeah. Finally. And this was a tight race for the dumbest reason. An edition of Seto was banned for featuring a story about a happily married woman thinking back on the enjoyable sex she had with her husband the previous night. Okay, wow. I saw you pause. You're waiting for me to, like, say why it's so scandalous. No, yeah, it's a was happily like, married woman being like, man, I, I love had amazing with sex my with husband. my husband. He's the best. His dick does things I cannot imagine. Right? Like, And that was too much. A woman enjoying sex with her partner, even her married, like, partner is, like, no. we can't no, be talking can't about that. that. Women are not supposed to enjoy sex. Because here's the thing. If women read about women enjoying sex, they're going to be like, well, why don't I enjoy sex? And then men are actually going to have sex in a way that women have to enjoy. Right. No. Like, you know, there aren't like thousands upon thousands of books written specifically for women in that. Yeah. These days. So I think this is a good place to remind our listeners that sex is supposed to be enjoyable and shouldn't hurt. This is also another great thing to add to our list of ways to rebel. Have enjoyable sex with your partner. So Noe also wrote pieces where she engaged in debates, including with other feminists. So, I mean, it's just like today, not all right. feminists agree on every topic. One such debate was with notable Japanese feminist uh, Yamakawa Kikue uh, about whether sex work should be legalized or not, with Noe arguing in favor of legalization. And that yes. got banned. What? Was that the la- the dumb reason that it got no, banned? No, no, no. Oh. We're, we're, we're out of the ban okay. list. We're just talking now about her good. and yeah. her writing. Yeah. So Noe stated that women deserve bodily autonomy and should have a right to to what does or doesn't happen right. to their own bodies. Noe also pointed out that the government didn't allow women to have economic freedom or opportunities, leading them to have to turn to survival sex, sex work in the first place, only to be criminalized by the same government who wouldn't let them earn money any other way in the first place. So it's she's like, you know, this what? is kind of your own fault. She's like, man, if you guys really hate sex work, maybe give women a different like way to earn income. And like not everyone engages in sex work for survival reasons. Some people really enjoy it. Right, like That's their profession. They're let very them happy. do it. That's great. But also give the women that don't want to do it other options. Exactly. Don't like make it, oh, this is the only way I can get money. Yeah, people are gonna do it. <laughs> right. So it's just it's just this huge like tapestry of hypocrisy and putting women in situations and then demonizing them. For oh, yeah, it. very much so. Along with writing her own pieces for Seto, Noe wrote novels, translated feminist works from English into Japanese to make them accessible to Japanese women, and just she did a bunch of other writing. Unfortunately, due to the government banning distributions, or sorry, 
Unfortunately, due to the government banning distributors from carrying the magazine, Seto published its final edition in February of 1916 due to lack of funds. So the government didn't just ban certain editions. Right. They basically made it impossible for the magazine to make money by going after the distributors. So, like, they didn't have to ban edition by edition. They just shut the whole thing down. You can't run this magazine. But wait, it gets sadder. Oh, thanks. (laughs) On September 1st, 1923, an earthquake rocked the Kanto region of Japan. You know, from Pokemon Red and Green. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It would appropriately become known as the Great Kanto Earthquake, but because of some truly horrifying events, it would also become known as the Massacre of Koreans or the Kanto Massacre. What? Yeah. Immediately following the earthquake, i.e. the same fucking day, Imperial Army soldiers, police, and vigilantes, i.e. random fucking citizens, used the chaos and mass destruction as an excuse to begin murdering Koreans and Chinese living in the region. And I understand there is a long history of hatred between the Japanese and Koreans. I'm not going to get into that because that's not what the story is about. And there is no possible way for me to appropriately cover the whole situation on this podcast. Uh, what we need to understand is that the government declared martial law and told police stations, quote, there are a group of people who want to take advantage of disasters. Be careful because Koreans are planning terrorism and robbery by arson and bombs. And so basically the police were just like, well, we'll just preemptive anything and yeah. murder all the Koreans. Yeah. And so like the Japanese, That's uh, terrible. the Japanese don't get along with like foreigners really yeah. like there's a lot of tension between japan korea and china and they you know korea and china don't like japan japan doesn't like them as a whole thing and actually this is like in the early days of that because japan i believe was occupying at least korea they may have been occupying china i started reading into it a little and i'm like well right. this, like, this i can't way too much i can't give an overlay of this but there's th- this is like a racially yeah. charged thing This completely baseless declaration was also printed in newspapers, prompted citizens to begin engaging in the racially charged massacre. Non-Japanese people would try to blend in by wearing Japanese clothing and executing Japanese accents to conceal their identities and keep from being murdered. So I would be dead because you heard me try to do like a southern or a Spanish accent. Like I can't do accents. It's it's also way too pale. (laughs) <laughs> this is true you would need you'd need to like bathe in a bathtub of but, like toner or something but i'm just saying like imagine you're suddenly in this situation and you're trying to pass as a japanese person and like figure out this accent to like, naturalize japanese people yeah yeah well it wasn't only koreans who were targeted it was literally anyone who was deemed to be a foreigner or a social activist so like it's called the Korean massacre, but it was anyone who was foreign or considered yeah. an enemy of the state. So basically, the earthquake was used as an excuse for the government just, just like going in. Yeah. yeah. They, no, that is the perfect way to say it. The government used the earthquake as an excuse to straight up purge. Um, so people were forced to claim that they were Korean before being murdered, Jesus. causing journalists to mistake the massacre as being directed as Koreans. That makes sense. Yeah. In a stunning turn, the Yakuza, who is like the Japanese mob, actually helped hide Koreans and protect them from the massacre. Because Koreans were like, 
work. The Yakuza doesn't care where you're from as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do right. and making them money. The massacre lasted three weeks. Oh, Jesus. Holy shit. And only ended when vigilantes got too rowdy and began to threaten the government's power. Naturally, the government stepped in to quiet things. <sighs> so they're like, okay, okay, guys. You did a really great job murdering everyone. Go home. You got to bring it down, though. Uh, you're making us uncomfortable. And we're so important. An estimated 6,000 people were murdered. Jeez. And I feel like whenever we have estimates like that, you can always... You know they're low. Yeah. Y- you can always knock it up a few notches and you're probably still accurate. So this was the chaos that Noe, Noe and Osugi found themselves in. On September 6th, in the early days of the massacre, Noe, Osugi, and Osugi's six-year-old nephew, who had been born in Portland, Oregon, I guess was like visiting, I don't know, they were arrested, on sexy quotes, for their activist roles strangled to death in their cells and their bodies were thrown into an abandoned well by the military police. Their bodies were recovered and it was clear that they were severely beaten before being murdered. Holy shit. Noe was 28 years old. Why would you do that to a six-year-old, though? Yeah, and there's a six-year-old here, too. That's terrible. I mean, all of it is terrible, but... Well, and 28, that's just a year younger than us. Yeah. Like... I, I'm still a baby, guys. I, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm just a baby. <laughs> That's, ugh. Because Noe and Osugi were well-known social activists and for the fact that a six-year-old child was murdered... Obviously, I mean that's probably why they threw them in the well because they were probably like, okay, they no, were hiding. No one it. needs to know they died. Oh yeah, they knew. They absolutely knew. So this specific event uh, in the massacre became known as the Amakasu incident, named after Masahiko Amakasu, the lieutenant who led the military police and the murder. So he was like, Jeez. yeah, the, the asshole in charge. There. Let's be real. The Amakasu incident is way too polite of a name for what happened. Like incident, right? Mm. That sounds like you slapped someone. Yeah. Yeah. And that not that, beat and murdered three people. And um, so when I was assaulted years ago, I refer to that still as an incident because I have a hard time. Right. Like, like putting words be- to because it. I'm very uncomfortable with it. And like it was a, a hard thing to go right. through. And so incident is seems like a word where it's like, man, we don't really want to lend credence to how serious this was because we don't want to deal with it, which is totally what I do. But right. I get to do that because I'm the survivor. Exactly. This is a murder. Yeah. Let's just call it a murder. But, yeah. Word of the Amakasu incident slash murder spread quickly, sparking outrage across the country. Because of the outrage, Amakasu was arrested and sentenced to 10 years. That's not enough. It's not it's not great, but it's not terrible, but it does get terrible. In a twist that surprises absolutely no one, he only served three years. I thought you were gonna say like a week and I was gonna be <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, compared to ten years though, I mean that's, that's like ugh. that's like getting out on parole, you know, after Considering three I don't think ten years is enough for murdering three people. Including a child. Including a child. Yeah. Like three is definitely not enough. Absolutely. Noe Ito and Sakai Osugi were buried in Kutsunova Cemetery in Aoiku Shizuoka. Shizuoka. Okay. Uh, I imagine the six-year-old nephew was also buried respectfully somewhere nice. I couldn't I find... I would assume he probably went home to Oregon. Yeah. I, I would hope so. And be- because... We're gone? He was just like a... 
caught in the the, the yeah, he just like basically there got, wasn't a lot about yeah. him like he just he just happened to be there with osagi and noah and it's just sad legacy noah ito is remembered as one of the most notable feminist activists of japan her writings were revolutionary for the time and even for today, and she worked to change the system that kept women subservient and disenfranchised. A biography about Noe Ito titled Beauty in Disarray by Harumi Satoshi uh, was translated in 1993, and oh my god, I want to read it. Because I, I had a hard time finding a ton of information about her. Like, I think if I had more time to dig, I would have found more. But it was more I was finding extra little details here and there. But largely, it was the same narrative. Yeah. Despite only being in circulation for five years, Seto averaged selling 3,000 copies per month. Wow. So the magazine she worked on and is still credited as igniting Japanese feminism. Though the magazine was never translated while active, in 2007, the University of Michigan's Center for Japanese Studies published a selection of essays from the magazine called The Blue Stockings of Japan, New Woman Essays and Fictions from Seto, 1911 to 1916. That's good. Also, I I definitely raised an eyebrow. I was like, man, I didn't know Michigan, the University of Michigan had like a Center for Japanese Studies. I didn't either. Like, like good job, Michigan. Go, Michigan. <laughs> There was a movie made in 1969 called Eros Plus Massacre by director Kiju Yoshida, which was about Sakai Osugi, uh, though Noe Ito is featured prominently, obviously. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. It's like if there was a movie about her, he'd probably be a really prominent figure. Exactly. Despite the best efforts to silence Noe Ito and Seto, their stories and legacies live on, continuing to serve as a battle cry for women all over the world. Yeah. Like... She had such a short life, but was very impactful. She did so much, yeah. Yeah, like it, it it, blew my mind. And the thing she was writing about, you know, nowadays, that's, we see that stuff everywhere, but that was revolutionary for the time. You don't talk about sex work. You don't talk no. about free love. You don't talk about abortion. Like even as taboo as those topics are today, they were completely unacceptable at the time. Right. Like... Like, she was an extremist to them. Yeah, it was great. Uh, but yeah, I love her, and I'm so sad for how her story ended. Yeah, that is. That's sad. Yeah. Don't you love when you're researching a woman in, like, a historic massacre? You're like, this massacre. is great, and then you're like, oh, God. Or, like, a historic massacre sneaks its way in there, and you're like, you weren't invited to the party. Get out. Right? You're like, this is not what I wanted. Yeah, I I wasn't writing about I didn't a massacre. request you. <laughs> You did not RSVP. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Now we get to talk about the woman on the bottle. Yay. I think this is the first bottle of wine we've had that directly relates to a woman we're covering. Well, I picked the bottle and then wrote well, about her. But I yeah. know, but we haven't done that before. No, we haven't. I'm s- I wish I liked her wine more. I, I know. I'm so really bad. sorry. Um, okay, so it's called Donna Antonio, which just means Mrs. Oh, okay. Her name so Donna was not her name. No, uh, her name's Anto- Antonia. Okay. So her name is Antonia Ferreira. Ooh. Um, there was, I couldn't find a lot about her, like, childhood. Um, but she began, she was born, like, to a wealthy family because she inherited the the vineyards and stuff from her wealthy family. So, like, obviously she grew up in... Portugal, so it's 
what, she's Portuguese. What year is this? Around, um, like see. decade. 1811. 1811. Is when she was born. Okay. July 4th, 1811. Oh, sorry. I'm getting the hiccups. Oh, geez. You didn't even drink that much. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta wash it down with some wine, drown those hiccups. Um, So she was born to a wealthy Portuguese family, obviously. So she probably grew up, you know, probably not super well educated just because I don't, they probably didn't educate women very well at the time. She probably got a better education than she would have had she been yeah. poor. Like she, um, she probably learned to like sew and embroider and sweep. Right. <laughs> um, sh- her father arranged for her to marry her cousin, which did happen. Okay. But he was uninterested in the family business and basically just wasted the fortune while she worked in the family business. So she did like know the business. So he's just over here like spreading Basically, sacks while like, she's picking grapes like god damn it dude he had like a very like bohemian lifestyle and very extravagant and he was ridiculous you know what we all just want to go full bohemian and spend money like it means nothing and just do whatever we want but that money needs to come from somewhere right so yeah her husband was named bernardo ferreira which was also her grandpa's name who like started the vineyard so like that's kind of a weird thing there's oh, a I lot guess. of bernardo Fer- ferreras in the family okay um, so the marriage produced two children, uh, a daughter, Maria de Asakawa, who would later become the Countess of Azambuja. That's which is pretty Azambuja? Countess. Yep. Ooh, I like, I love A Z A M B U G A or J A. Azambuja. Buha. She became a Countess of somewhere. She is the Countess. And then her son was Antonio Bernardo Ferreira. She was widowed at the age of 33 when her husband died. She's probably okay with yep. that. <laughs> um, at which point she really began to exercise her role as the executive of the estate and the vineyards and everything like that. Now that her husband wasn't blowing stacks of cash. Right. She gave him the cheapest funeral. Like, if you want an expensive funeral, you should have saved for it, asshole. Right. So, yeah, she, she really began to assume her role um, as leadership of the Casa Ferreira, you know, the House. Ferreira household, the Ferreira basically. House. Um. She promoted a lot of new plantations of vineyards. She built new warehouses, hired more staff, um, bought several existing estates that were like surrounding her estate um, and founded new estates as well. It very much made her a relevant figure in the port wine business. Um, and she she was supported by uh, an administrator she hired named Jose del de, de, sorry Jose da Silva Torres, who comes back around later. Um, her prosperity and how well she was doing caught the attention of the Duke of Salenta, who was like a duke in the area. Um, and he was one of the most powerful men in Portugal at this time. Okay. And what he wanted to do was marry his son to her daughter. Okay. So this is before she yeah. became a countess. Yeah. And so okay. she was like, let's, you know, let's let's marry the family, basically. Yeah. And, let's, uh, let's join. Let's Antonio was like, children. no. <laughs> Um, even though Antonia said no, the Duke would not give up and ordered the kidnapping of her 12 year old daughter. Oh no. What? She's 12. Yep. Like the, it's inappropriate at any age, but like, dude, yeah. uh, to prevent this, uh, Antonia and her children, uh, left and settled in London. Um, 
where at this time she went on to marry her administrator, Jose da, da Silva Torres, because he was like supporting her in the business. And so she was like, yeah, why not? Let's get married. This is a movie, by the way. I know. Right? Like this has to like as soon as you talked about uh, Torres, I was like, do they fall in love and do they have like secret rendezvous amongst the vineyards? And I like to imagine they passionately so. touch each other's chest while going, I can't. Yeah, but I must. I, that's what I imagine. And <laughs> like, then eventually they like saucy. leave the country and she's like, oh, fine, we can now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's, like, you know, I can't. It's like one of those romance Duke novel of the, the guy with the like a Fabio like yes. in a vineyard with his shirt off. Oh. Yeah, that's what I imagine. Oh, my God. We need to write this. <laughs> <laughs> um, they did eventually return to Por- Portugal. And soon after she did, she um, suffered a shipwreck. She was sailing down the upper Douro to Porto, which is apparently a city. In 1861, and at the Valeria Rapids, um, her they hit some rocks and like got in this big shipwreck, and everyone was thrown overboard. Oh my god! She was traveling downriver with her friend Baron De Forrester, who was an influential businessman, um, specifically related to the wine business. You yeah. Know, so they were probably chatting business. Um, great. The, great. The legend wine. goes that he carried a large amount of coin on his belt. And so he sank and died. They never found his body. Oh, shit. She, though, because she was wearing balloon skirts, had air go up her skirts and was able to, like, float to shore. So she was fine. You know what's really funny about that is, like, so the reason people drown constantly back in the day is, one, no one knew how to swim. Because this is before you, well, like, and, like took women, swimming when lessons. they had all those petticoats, they would just, like, sink to the and bottom. And women's clothing prevented them yeah, from, like, big, staying like, the... Balloon, the, I suppose. Yeah, you'd just get air under there and you'd just kind of... She, she just hit the water just, just the right, right way yeah, just, and, like, fucking... Like Alice falling down the rabbit hole and her dress yep, expands. That's exactly and she what I. <laughs> that's exactly what I envisioned, but on water. Because I'm like, man, usually it's the women's clothes that kill them. Well, that's probably hot in Portugal, so maybe like the fabric was lighter. Maybe, maybe versus in England where it's like less, you know, less layers. layers. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that happened. Um. That's like. Okay, sad people died, but that's fucking hilarious. Right. <laughs> so, in 1868, something happened in the region that caused... Basically, it was a really good year, and it caused a surplus production of port wine in the area. Yeah, you should just stop drinking it. I, t- I took a sip, because I was like, maybe knowing her story will make it. Nope. Nope. No, she's still amazing. Like, No, no, no. She's I amazing. Like I, I'm just not a port gal, it So, seems. despite, like, the excellent quality of the wine, the port wine that was being produced, there was just so much of it that there was absolutely no demand. The market was saturated. So, winemakers were having a lot of trouble selling their wine. So, sensing an excellent business opportunity, Antonio started buying large quantities of wine at a very cheap price. Like, so she bought a bunch of port because everyone wanted to sell and had no one to sell it to. So she right. was like, well, I'll buy some. Two years later, a plague of mildew known as Fluoroxera um, hit the Duro, Duro area vineyards. Oh, shit. Um, and despite the escalating prices, because obviously there wasn't a lot of wine in the market, no one really had any wine to sell. Except for Antonio, who used the previous investment 
to kind of like keep herself in business, basically. Oh my god, she's she like was hoarding wine and just waiting right, for exactly. her moment. That was very, very, and she actually made profit, obviously, because it was selling at such a higher price. Yeah. Unfortunately, the flox floroxera, which was is a disease caused by insects that eats, they eat the plant and then it dries out the plant and kills the roots of the the wine vine. So it's not just like some nibbles on the leaves. No, it, it like kills the whole kills plant. The whole thing. Yeah. Okay. So. This was affecting the whole valley. Like, so she was basically only selling what she had previously bought. Um, and so obviously, like, she was having trouble, like, producing wine and keeping people in on her farms, basically, or on her vineyards. And she yeah. felt bad. So it, to counteract this, she decided to diversify, which, you know, is probably unheard of it for that time. You you do one thing, you know. Right, you, that's you what you do. Smith, you are a you, you know bake? you are a winemaker. That's yeah. what you are. So in order to keep her workers employed, she the first thing she did was plan a colossal dry stone wall to encircle the perimeter, um, which was sixteen kilometers long, like of her vineyard. So she's like, okay, you guys go do that. Okay, which was not only like something hard because I mean that's going to take a lot, sixteen kilometers. Um, but it was also ridiculously expensive. Yeah. Um, but it, it kind of represented how she was. She was very noble and caring. And she was like, no, I need to keep my people employed. Like, So she was know. giving them something to do and paying them for it despite. And she was using that wine profit, that exactly. unexpected wine profit to um, do it. Not only did she do that, but she also started planting orchards and nut trees, um, making cereals and then other crops, as well as um, starting to graze flocks of livestock. Oh, so she's going full farm. Yeah, she was like, you know what? Fine. I can't do winemaking. Let's just do other shit. I figured out how to plant these grapes. I can figure out how to do everything else. Like, it's fine. And you know what's really cool about that is that as a winemaker, she was thriving in a time of drought and disease where everyone else was failing. And she wasn't even making wine. She was just like, I'm going to do other stuff because I can't. Exactly. But she could have let everyone go because she didn't Right. And just kept her profit. And just, yeah, made a buttload of profit and then been like, hey, if you're around next season when things are back to normal, come on over. Otherwise, I'll find someone else. She was very caring. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Take notes. At one point, something they noted was one one thing they did is they she um, planted hundreds of mulberry trees in an attempt to breed silkworms to start a silk business. It didn't go like it didn't take off, but that was one of the things she tried, which I think is kind of interesting. I like that. Um, But yeah, the various projects um, kept the community of workers um, that worked in the vineyard. The one she cared for the most was called Vesuvio, which I'm assuming is Vesuvio. Which That's I'm assuming is um, a Spanish version for Vesuvius. Okay. You know, which means mountain. So uh, Mount Vesuvius is literally mountain, mountain. Uh, just, it's such a mountain. Just saying. It's such a mountain. It was the mountain, mountain. Um, she also did not rest during this time. She wasn't just like, hey, go plant all this stuff. Um, she traveled throughout England to try and figure out what like, what to do about this plague that was ra- like ravishing her country and her, her vineyards. Um she also fought against um, the government at the at the Portuguese government because they were importing a lot of wine. They weren't like buying national stuff. They would import from like France and other regions. And she was like, guys, we're making our own wine. Like the fuck. Yeah. Like, why don't you support us? Because we're making wine here. <laughs> right. Um, and so throughout her traveling, she found out what the solution um, for this fluoroxera was planting American vines that were already immune to it. 
Oh, cool. So she used that mixed with like more sophisticated production methods um, and like invested a ton into planting these new vines. And like it it did really well. And she, you know, she was kind of the pioneer of that in her area. Um, Something she also started to do, as, you know, obviously, because people were falling on hard times during this, she bought a lot of the Duro Quintas, which are like the ho- the houses, like. Basically, the villas of the area. Okay. She went around buying a lot of them so that the British merchants couldn't. Like, she was like, oh. no, I don't want y'all in my town. Like, okay. So she went around buying all the all these ones for sale one by one. And a few years later, she either just returned them to their former owners or did, like, did so for, like, a symbolic price. But, like, some of them she just straight up donated back to the families and like, was like, no, this is yours. Pay me a penny and I'll give you your house back. Right. Like, if you really want to give me something, I'll take it. But, like, yeah, she was like, no, this something. is our region. Like, I'm not going to let you guys just swoop in because we're doing poorly. Like, Yeah, th- you're taking advantage of us having a hard time to then make sure none of us can ever get back on our feet. Right, exactly. And during this time, she earned the nickname of... For- so her name's Ferrera. So it's Fer- Ferrahina, which basically means like little Ferrera. Like so, it was like an, an affectionate like yeah. nickname they gave her because of little how like ca- you know caring and stuff she was. Yeah. Every time you say Ferrera, I want to go Ferrera Rocher. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then I want chocolate. So um, obviously, at this point, she was holding a large fortune. She held dozens of estate. Um, her biggest, obviously, was Vesuvio, which was her most cherished, too. Like, that was, like, her baby, basically. Um, but like I said, she also fought for the poor and, you know, the, the less fortunate out there. And in 1880, when she became a widow for the second time... <laughs> Remember her oh. first her first husband died that no one cared the cousin, about. Um, and then, oh, but Torres. yeah, like her like partner. Um and um at this time she was heavily involved in construction of hospitals in upper like in various towns. She like put a lot into like buildings for the poor and like like so she was like, No, like these are my people and I have this money. Like I'm gonna help them. She seems really dedicated to her local infrastructure, whether it be supporting right. other business owners or the most disenfranchised people in the community. She's like, I'm gonna use my wine money and make this okay. Right. And that's what I was about to say is she also invested in other vineyards, like not just her own. She wow. particularly went on to invest in vineyards that had like a large exposure to sunlight because her her vineyard I was like reading is like made up of a bunch of different like hills and valleys. So like they're not all super like sunlit. So she went on to invest in a lot of vineyards that had uh, sunlight because they can grow different grapes, you know, like. And so um, she did all of that while still maintaining all of the vineyards she inherited. Um, And her wine was exported mostly to England and she became one of the first or who was the first major importer of port wine. So like England was like, yeah, give me that stuff. We like it. Yeah, I think it's why funny. we're over here. That's like, <laughs> I think it's so funny because they're like, hey, we want to like take all your vineyards, and she's like, nope, you can't take my vineyards, but you can still have my wine. Yeah, you, like, you, you can still can, buy my wine. Yeah, you can buy my wine. That's fine. It's awesome to some people who aren't Kelly and Emily. Right. Exactly. I feel like so ashamed. I know. I do feel bad. Um. So in 1868, she took a revolutionary step in. I don't know if it was in the world or in Portugal. It didn't say, but she bottled what was what is known as the first single Quinta wine. So wine only from one villa. 
because Aquinta is a villain. Oh, okay. Um, so she bottled it off of Vesuvio. Wait, th- how did that? Wo- Never mind. I'm just taking your word for it. I, I realize I have a bunch of That's questions what that it I says. don't think because I'm like, well, isn't that how it works? Like you have a vineyard. And you use the grapes and you make the wine. But you and- might maybe you pull grapes from different areas or different okay. vineyards. I don't know. I don't know how winemaking works. Guys, this uh, this podcast is heavy on the herstory and just with a touch of wine. We are not experts. Um, so they called it, it the 1868 Quinta de Vesuvio Vintage Port. So maybe it was the first time like a port was bottled that way. I don't okay. know. Um. So what it did is it, sh- and the label was the map of the property in the 1830s, which was the beginning of the Quinta de, de Vesuvio. Um, and that was the beginning of her, like, li- Quinto de Vesuvio wine thing. Okay. That, um, that particular line? Like, brand, okay. yeah. Um, she In the 1870s and 1880s, she went on to renovate and expand her house, the chapel that was on the land and those remain the same as she expanded them to to this day oh cool i want to visit yeah that would be cool i'm sure you could because it's a vineyard like i wonder if they do tours we should check on that she died in 1896 i couldn't find how she died very happily she died yeah um she left behind a large fortune and nearly 30 vineyards uh, she is considered one of the leaders of of the history in the Douro Valley and an influence in the popularity and success of Portuguese wines. So legacy, besides that. She's like the mother of Portuguese wine. Basically. Like, um, and she is she's a symbol of, they view her as a symbol of like altruism and generosity as well as entrepreneurship. This is how you business. Right. Um. So she, like I said, she left behind. She was 84 when she died. So she probably just died of old age. Yeah. She like went to piss on that Duke's grave one last time, crawled into bed, with, had a glass of port, and she's like, I good. <laughs> right. And a lot of the quintas or villas today are managed by the house Fer- Fer- Ferrera. Fer- well, Fer- Ferrera Nina, the, her nickname. Oh, okay. um, but there is also the Quinta de Lera, which is... Um, Located in Elmendra, that also manages some of the quintas that she left behind. Um, and these grapes are um, the basis for state-of-the-art wine of the house. They are like a renowned type vineyard. Vi- what what am I looking for? Renowned, varietal, yeah. Okay. Vintage. I think vintage is vintage. the word I was looking for. Um, and they are a symbol of the highest quality of Duro wines. That's super cool. Um, also they, they were acquired by a different company in 18 or 1987. Um, they were acquired by a company called so- Sogrop or So Grape. We're going to go So Grape because it sounds better. So Grape. In 1987. Um, however, they'd continue to deliver the Donna Antonio Adelaide Fer- Ferreira Award which is an award that they created that distinguishes Portuguese female figures, which due to, this is a quote of what this award is, uh, Portuguese female figures, which due to their human characteristics and capacities of entrepreneurship, replicate today the exceptional example of Donna Antonio contributing to Portugal's economic, social, and cultural development. End quote. Aww. As well as they, they still continue to make like the family wine and the wine name after her. So she basically has an award for... Exceptional. 
exceptional women, women and yeah. that's named after her that's yeah. so cool so, yeah, and then her wine is clearly still alive and well right and like the company's still doing really well and yeah so it's really like it's managed by different companies and stuff but they they're keeping the legacy of her alive so yeah i, I saw the bottle and saw it had like a woman on it so i quickly like googled it and i'm like oh that's actually like you know it's not just like some random person like yeah she has a story and she actually like is huge in winemaking so i was like all right let's do this i feel like there are wines that that have a person's picture or name on it and then it like you find out it means nothing yeah right or it's like oh this is like a veiled reference to something random right but and you're like eh, this is straight up like her name will be remembered because it's on a bottle of wine right that her that she created essentially this vineyard that you know she kept it alive through this you know plague that probably ravaged hundreds of vineyards in yeah. the area holy crap well cheers Donna I Antonia I thought when I first bought it I was like oh I wonder if I'm gonna have to do like a like a whole women of winemaking thing like it's not just gonna be able to be her but I was like no she actually like did a whole bunch of stuff that's amazing yeah I I wish I liked the wine more though I know right I guess I'm just not a port person no it's, but I think it's too okay. raisiny for us yeah, I'm not a fan. Because I don't like, even the like raisiny date taste. I can't. I can't do it. That's the only thing that's getting me. Because even the 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 sourness, mm-hmm. I could get by. Well, and I like the aftertaste, like the apricot. Yeah, aftertaste. Like so, when it's like on my tongue afterward, I'm like, oh, it's not like terrible. But yeah, then I take the sip and it's like all raisins. I'm like, never mind. Yeah, guys. I mean, if, if you're hearing us going, oh, raisins, and you're like, what raisins? Yes, right, like please if you try likes, this. Yeah, like you'll like it a lot. If you like ports, if you like raisins, go for this. The, I mean, it's the, really this good. is better than that Greek church wine, though, because it it's is. not as syrupy. Yeah, it's not like congealing in the bottom of our glasses like that ch- Greek church wine. Yeah. That oh was, my that god. Was bad. That like. It was like a syrup. Down. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a lot. I'm glad Drew enjoyed it. Yes. I'll All enjoy this right. too, I'm sure. So, Kelly. What am I thankful for? Yeah. Well, what are you thankful for? Now that you bring it up. <laughs> um, I'm really thankful for um my mom this week. I know I should probably talk about everything else that's going on, but because of as me and Emily mentioned, we're not, you know, super like close to it, like, and we're not of the right we're, you know, we we're, have our privilege because we're white. We have our privilege. And I don't we're not the people to be telling right you how to, to like feel bring and... that up. So I'm gonna go with my mom because she came down and helped me garden a few days ago, and that was really nice. Because nice. I'm I'm really bad at like starting things, like and so like I like would just go outside and look at my garden and be like, man, I really need to weed my garden. <laughs> like a bunch of stuff came up, which is nice. I'm gonna have to buy some more stuff, but like you know, I'm just like. I don't want to weed my garden but like I, I told my mom then she she I asked her if she wanted to come down and help me and she did and that was really nice, nice. And so we like weeded the garden and then we like played a game and then she went home that's and nice it was, just, it was nice like because obviously during all of this I haven't seen my mom very much and you know about being outside and stuff we were like yeah we'll be fine plus with like the lesser restrictions and I mean she hasn't left her house and I haven't left my house so yeah it was fine it was good I'm glad how about you um I'm just going to say I am thankful that uh, some of my friends who are up in the cities are safe as yeah, of thanks. now. Thanks. Well, way to, make, way to well, make me seem like an asshole. But I, I do too. I, I have family the up there. Thing. I have family up there too. And um, yeah, I I've definitely 
Kelly and I have both definitely extended open invitations for anyone who feels unsafe and feels that they need to get out for however long. Um, But something I'm really thankful for, and this is dumb because it's little, um, I started painting my hallway in my house and I started um, like sanding and stripping the baseboard and the trim and I'm painting that white to match the living room and I... The hallway need need to be repainted because the paint's chipping. It's old. It's just it needs to be it's refreshed. Probably from like when the house was built, type of paint. Yeah, like pro- probably a bit more recent, but it's old enough. Yeah, and so it was gray, and I just I didn't want to change the color because my living room is already like a light green. And I'm like, that's enough color. <laughs> like the 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 dinky little hallway can be very neutral, and so I just went to Home Depot picked out a, a can of paint. I was like, oh, th- this is a gray. This is light. I That's fine. Like, I didn't overthink it. And I just started doing it. And I feel like I get so hung up on the planning and like, what what can go wrong? How's this going to go wrong? What am I missing? Right. It almost stalls me from doing things. And so, yeah, like Friday night, I was just painting. I was just doing the thing. And it's funny because I'm putting the paint on the wall. I was like, holy shit, this is like the exact same color. <laughs> Did not attempt that. But I was like, oh, my God, it is a bit lighter. So yeah, it was when a it little dried, different. Yeah. yeah, when it dried, I could see the parts that I hadn't painted on the trim. I was like, okay, it's a different color. <laughs> but I I was working on the trim more last night, too, mm-hmm. and I just feel good being able to get stuff done. I got a bunch of stuff around the house done yesterday, and just uh, having things I can exert control over and make positive progress on is really good. Right. It, it was another hard week, mental health-wise. I want to give another thing for both thank of us. you to Emily for dealing with me and my not having the mental capacity to podcast yesterday when we were supposed to and I just I didn't through my anxiety and everything else and she was very very willing to work with me and understanding and I love you and thank you for that oh, I love you too and by the way I was not trying to ignore you my battery I know three like but I like <laughs> and I shouldn't have like been panicking but of course like I sent you a message and then like three hours later I was like Emily yeah did I offend you all of my phone chargers are getting old at the same time so they're not charging as quickly so I just I just left it plugged in I do that too went around and did my stuff around the house it came back it's like it's only at 20 percent it's been like three hours what the hell's going on (laughs) yeah Yeah, you need some new chargers that's why I'm like actually charging my phone as we record because it's already like just from this morning down to 50 percent I'm like I should charge you might need a new phone too Jesus I don't want to deal with I hate getting a new phone because I feel like phones now, like, they're not getting better. Like, they know? kind of are, but it's more just, like, they, they get so much more complicated. Yeah. I'm and like, why? In the ways they're getting better, it's not enough for me to want a new phone. You know, right. it used to be, like, these leaps and bounds of technology, but it seems like that we've started like to a plateau thing, in a yeah. way. Well, and the phone doesn't have to do as much because there's always an app, you exactly. know? So it just needs to accommodate apps now so i don't know whatever i don't want a new phone anyway but yeah i'm thankful that i was able to be somewhat productive even though i feel like shit so yeah just keep being productive keep on keeping on great all right well everyone thank you so much for listening to another episode of whining about herstory please like us on facebook whining about herstory instagram w a h pod 
Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com and our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. They say their names or just women in your life or, you know, what's going on in your life. Really anything. We would just love to hear from you. And please rate and review us five stars wherever you listen. It really helps new people find us. Absolutely. And then also uh, you can donate to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash whiny about herstory. Keep the wine flowing. You can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. $1. It's amazing. We're working on new content for that too. We're we calling are. them juice box episodes. We are. I am actually uh, going to be working on finishing up our first juice box to publish like today. Nice. Yeah. Today or tomorrow probably. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm aiming for today because I said I would have it done this month. Uh, you got today. Yeah, and I, it's it's mostly that uh, like it's recorded and it's polished. Right. But I want to add some sound effects to make it more fun for kids to listen to, which is so hard. I'm like, oh, like is this the right sound or is that the right sound? And like I was gonna add music, but I was spending like hours looking for music that would work, and I'm that like, I hate it all of it. Like you. Oh my god. See, and I get so caught up in like, I, like details. I don't just do it. Like I just need to do it. So you can find us on Patreon, five stars, yada, yada. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.